I'm sitting in the, the front pew, and one of you, who will remain nameless, came up to me, looked me straight in the face, and said, dead serious, Clint, the police called, and they want you back. <laughs> Seriously? My wife even comes at me and says, you look like a prisoner. <laughs> you know what? I was a prisoner. Amen. And that's the whole point of this morning. I was a prisoner. And you too were a prisoner. You were held captive. You were held in bondage to this thing called sin. And we're going to deal with that this morning as you look to that. The song that we sang is kind of like our anthem. It's going to be our theme for the, the next couple of weeks. I was driving in my car two months ago, and I heard that song on the radio, and I'm like, wow, that's just a great song. Let me read the lyrics again. How great the chasm that lay between us, how high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished. The end is written. Jesus Christ, my living hope. When I heard those words, I thought, you know what, that is a great theme, and I believe it's a message that we need to hear at this particular point in time in our country, this particular point in time in our life. We need to hear that Jesus Christ, of, of all the things going on in our world and all the difficulties and challenges, we need the hope that Jesus Christ brings to us. A man by the name of Phil Wickham, um, who sang that song, this is what he said about the lyrics. He said this, God has rescued us from a place that we could have never been rescued ourselves. Our future was death, but Jesus came and brought life, a loving hope, into our souls and into our lives. I love singing the truth of living hope. And this song has already come an anthem at both of the churches where we lead. I hope anybody who hears it not only sings along with us, but in their hearts cling to this idea that Jesus Christ is our living hope. And that's what I want to do this Sunday, the next Sunday, and the following Sunday. It's just to remind us of the living hope that we have in Jesus Christ. If you're familiar with the song, you know that there is another line. And the line goes like this. Hallelujah. And we're going to sing this next week. Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. Let me ask you something. Have you ever thought about your life being bound by chains like a prisoner? Obviously, the reference is not to physical change, even though I have a friend that I write who's incarcerated in Oregon. He's hoping to get out uh, this year. He is physically incarcerated. The reality, though, he is physically incarcerated. Guess what? On the inside, he's ultimately free because he's been set free by the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, have you ever thought about your life as being imprisoned by chains? For example, you ever been so consumed by maybe a trial or difficulty or challenge in your life that you don't know exactly what to do? You feel like your life has been bound by this trial, this difficulty. Maybe it's a serious illness. Maybe there's something going on in your life and it just binds you and you can't break free of it. Job was a man who suffered a lot in his life. And this is what he said in Job chapter 27, verse 2. 
He says, the Lord Almighty has made me taste the bitterness of soul. Have you ever experienced life in such a way, a difficulty and challenging way that you have become bitter at life? You ever known anybody who's been bitter at life? Maybe they can't get through. I have no idea when my brother became addicted to drugs. I have no idea before he passed away last year. We think it was 2016. So if you go from 2016 to 2022, it's about six years. And what's really sad, he couldn't break free of it. He lost his life. Listen, you can become chained to addictions. And it's not just physical addiction. It's not drugs. You can become addicted to your job. You can be addicted to a relationship. You can become addicted to something. You can become addicted to, your, to your, uh, a, a place of position or maybe pornography or something. You, you can become addicted to something. So it so captures your soul that you can't break free of it. What about shame? Maybe you've done something wrong. Maybe you have done something that nobody else has done. And nobody else knows about it. And there's this idea that shame has just captured your life. And you can't break free of it. You're in bondage to shame. Maybe there's something that you're holding on to right now that nobody else knows about. Only you and God know. And you can't break free from it. And you feel this sense of shame in your life. There's a lot of things that hold us, capture us, bond our lives, if you will. What about the fear of death? Ever known anybody with the fear of death? I know a lot of people that are afraid of dying. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to live their lives. But there's this idea that, man, I don't know what the future holds for me. And I don't know if there's anything beyond this idea of death. But it so consumes them, so grabs a hold of them, that they don't know what to do. The book of Hebrews, it says this, chapter 2, verse 15. Speaking of Jesus, it says, And free those who all of their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Some people are so bound up into slavery because of their fear of death. And maybe it's not necessarily the fear of death. Maybe what is actually the fear of, am I going to stand before God and, and give an account for my life? They don't know what's beyond. What about bondage to yourself? You're all alone. Even though you're surrounded by people, even though you have this community, you just feel all alone. And you can't break free from that sense that nobody else knows about me. The mighty, powerful King David was in a cave. And in Psalm chapter 142, notice what he says. He says, set me free from my prison that I may praise your name. Whatever was going on in David's life, it made him run away, retreat to the isolation of a cave. And he couldn't feel like he could break through. He felt like his life was enslaved by prison of aloneness, of being isolated from other people. And maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, you know, none of those things are really relevant to my life. I feel good in all of those areas. Let me give you a description of what the Apostle Paul calls about life and why I am wearing this shirt here. It talks about the human condition. Galatians chapter 3, verse 22. Notice what Paul writes. He says this, But the scripture declares that the whole world is what? A prisoner of sin. So yes, when you come up to me and say, Yeah, you look like a prisoner. Absolutely. I was a prisoner. And the Bible says, Paul says, The whole world is captured, held bondage by this thing called sin. Separation from holy God. And that's what the song Living Hope tell us that we've been freed from. 
you go back and look at the, the song, it points to a chasm. A chasm is a separation. It talks about how high we are separated from God. It talks about the darkness of the human soul. And all of those things are very, very real in our lives. And what we need is we need somebody on the outside to come into our lives and break this bondage, these chains, if you will, of, of sin. And that person ultimately is Jesus. He's the only one who can set us free from all of these things that capture our lives. I'm going to invite you to turn your Bible to Mark chapter 15. And we're kind of walking through, we're jumping ahead in the gospel of art. We're jumping ahead to Passion Week. You know, Passion Week, you have the triumphal entry. You have the Last Supper. You have Jesus in his trials before the high priest. You have the denial by um, Peter. You have Judas betraying him. You have all of those things going on in one week. You have of, of Jesus going before Ananias and, and Caiaphas. And, and then he comes before, like our little drama, he comes before, Jesus comes before Pilate. He comes before the governor. He comes before the leader of that time. And, and, and Pilate's responsibility is to pass judgment. The religious leaders, they brought Jesus there because they're, they've trumped these charges up against him. And they bring him before Pilate. And if you know anything about Pilate, Pilate is, is he's just not a nice person. If you know anything about him, and the history about him. He didn't like the Jewish people, and the Jewish people didn't like him. The Bible and many of the historical accounts talk about Pilate's life and all of the difficulties that he gave to the Jewish people because of his heavy-handedness against them. He only reigned for about 11 years, A.D. 26 to 36. And according to the Jewish historian Josephus, he was responsible for much of the turmoil that happened in the city of Jerusalem because of the way he treated the people. At one point, he allowed the Jewish, or he allowed the soldiers, the Roman soldiers, to come into the city of, of, of Jerusalem bearing a standard with the emperor, Augusta, the emperor as an image of God, which appalled the Jewish people because they saw this as an act of idolatry, that they were to bow the knee, if you will, to this Caesar, the emperor. Another time, the money that was collected by the Jewish people, the corporate money uh, uh, that they gave to uh, the, the temple to rebuild the temple, to help the people in the temple, he just confiscated and built an aqueduct. And that made the Jewish people absolutely irate. He's doing all kinds of things to hurt the Jewish people. The Galileans, who at one time welcomed Jesus, it says this, Luke chapter 13, he, he had them killed when they were coming to offer their sacrifice. We don't know exactly why, but he had them killed. And, and what Pilate is doing, he's doing all of these incredibly horrible things to the Jewish people so they couldn't worship God. So a man by the name of Philo, who was contemporary at that particular point in time, listen to how he describes Pilate, the man who's going to stand, uh, that Jesus is going to stand before. Notice how he describes um, Pilate. His corruption... His acts of insolence, his rapine, I had to get looked that word up. I didn't even know what that word, it means just violently seizing people's property. That's what he was doing. He was violently seizing people's property. His habit of insulting people, his cruelty, his continual murders of people untried and uncondemned, his never-ending gratuitousness and the most grievous inhumanity, this is the guy that Jesus is standing in front of. This guy was a horrible, horrible human being and a horrible, horrible leader for the people. And that's why he reigned for only 11 years. Tradition says that after he was finally deposed as governor, he was sent off to Europe. And, and because he didn't have power, he didn't have prestige, he didn't have any of those things, he basically committed suicide. He ended his life because he had none of that stuff. And this is the guy. This is the guy that Jesus appeared before. 
And you wonder at the end of his life, did he think about this text here? Did he think about the testimony? Did he think about the life of Jesus? Did he think about the words that Jesus said? Did he think about the fact that Jesus over and over and over in a passage, in the conversation that he had with him, in the trial that he had, over and over he said he's innocent. Did those things go before his heart and mind? When Jesus says, I I am the truth, I've come to bear witness of the truth. Did he ever resonate with this idea of what the truth is? What has happened in our passage is this, that after the religious leaders brought the trumped up charges against Jesus, blasphemy, making himself out to be God, they had kind of convened together and said, listen, we already find this guy Jesus guilty. What we want to do is we want to kill him. We want to bring him before Pilate because we want to make sure that this guy is executed. Let me ask you this. Why bring Jesus to Pilate? Why do that? Why would they want to do that? Why not just take him If Jesus has violated the laws of blasphemy, made himself out to be God, and they have laws that say we can stone someone, why not just take him out and why not just stone him to death? Why not do that? Well, they knew that it was illegal for them to do that because of Rome. But but think about it this way. Had the Jewish people ever, ever taken justice upon their own hands and acted in a way where they killed another person? Think about the book of Acts. And think about Stephen. Remember, the same people who are going to try Jesus, the Sanhedrin, the same people, the same people are, are standing before Stephen in the book of Acts. And Stephen in this long chapter gives a testimony about the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And at the end, he tells him, you, Sanhedrin, are the people who convicted Jesus. You are the one who killed him. And remember what they did? They ran him out of the city and they stoned him. They stoned Stephen to death. The same people. And what about the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 21? He created such an uproar in Acts chapter 21, that the whole city of Jerusalem was going berserk. And they want to run him out and they want to stone him. And you remember who stopped them from stoning Paul in Acts chapter 21? The Roman authorities. So why not just run Jesus out of town? Why not just run him to death? And why not just stone him to death for his blasphemy? Because Jesus is silent. And he doesn't speak. He affirms that he's the Messiah but he's silent before him. And over and over, as Pilate questions him and as Herod questions him, he doesn't say a thing. And I think what we're seeing in the silence of Jesus and we're seeing in the actions of Jesus, you're seeing the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7 says this. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. The Messiah was going to come, and he was going to be before the people. He was going to do all of these wonderful miracles. And then he was going to go to the cross, and it says over and over, Isaiah chapter 53. And if you go back and look at Isaiah chapter 53 and how it describes the unique person of Jesus, it talks about the lamb going to the slaughter. It talks about Jesus not opening his mouth. And what we're seeing in the life of Jesus as he goes to the cross is this. The ultimate plan of God is being revealed. Listen, Jesus cannot be stoned by the Roman soldiers. He has to go and he has to die on a cross because that's what he told the people. Remember Acts chapter 8. 
I mean, Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 10. Uh, Jesus said, I'm going to go, and I'm going to be betrayed by the religious leaders. And what are they going to do? They're going to mock me. They're going to spit me. They're going to hate me. And then they're going to put me on a cross, and three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. Jesus could not be stoned by the Roman people, he had, or by the Jewish people. He had to be nailed to a cross. And that's what we're seeing as Jesus silently goes to the cross, not offering any defense other than the fact that he is the Messiah. God's ultimate plan is being fulfilled and Jesus' words are being fulfilled. Yes, I am the Messiah and I need to go to the cross and I cannot be stoned to death. I need to go to the cross and be crucified for my sin. And that's why Jesus is silent. He's allowing the plan of God, not my will, but your will be done in my life as I go to the cross. And I accept what's going to happen to me because it's going to be a payment for sin. And so Jesus is before Pilate. And in verse 2, notice what Pilate asks. You heard it in the drama. Are you the king of the Jews? He wants to know, are you the king of the Jews? Who are you? Who are you professing to be? Pilate thinks he's the king. He thinks he's the rightful king. Are you the king of the Jews? Mark chapter 15, verse 12, Pilate asked, as he gets to the end of the interrogation, he asked this question, what shall I do with the, the one you call the king of the Jews? The one burning question for Pilate was this, who is this Jesus and is he the king of the Jews? And that question for you and I is relevant for us today. What do you believe about Jesus and do you believe him to be the king of the Jews? In other words, do you believe him to be the one who was promised of God? Do you believe him to be the one who came and offered and did all of these wonderful miracles? Do you believe he's the one promised in the book of Isaiah? Do you believe all of those things about his life? Do you believe about the miracles that he did? Do you believe about the testimony of his life? The words that he spoke? All of those things. When you encapsulate Jesus' life, do you believe him to be the one promised in the Old Testament? That was the burning question of the people. Are you truly the king of the Jews? And Jesus didn't answer. He's just silent before him. And he doesn't speak, fulfilling the promises of Isaiah chapter 53. At some particular point in time in the Gospels, if you go and look at the Gospel of Luke, Pilate is questioning him, and then he sends him back to Herod. He sends him back to Herod. Why? Well, because Jesus, if where he was living, it was actually under Herod. Herod's jurisdiction. So he goes back to Herod. And when you look at the text, it says Herod was looking forward to seeing him. As a matter of fact, Herod wanted to see Jesus because he wanted him to do a trick. He wanted him to do a miracle. He wanted to see Jesus do something. By the way, this is the same King Herod who had John the Baptist beheaded. And if Jesus stands before Herod, he doesn't, doesn't say a word. He's silent. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7. As the lamb is led to the slaughter, he's silent. And you know what Herod does? He takes a robe, and he places this robe on Jesus, and he prays him out, and begins to mock him. And all the soldiers begin to mock him, and begin to spit on him, and they begin to treat him in a horrible, horrible way. And Jesus doesn't say a word. And Herod finally gets fed up with him, and he sends him back to Pilate, where he goes back to Pilate, and Pilate once again begins to question him even more and more. 
And what's interesting, when you look at the gospel, when you look at the text, what's happening is Pilate is in one area and Jesus is in another area. And, and he keeps going back and forth, Jesus and the people, and Jesus and the people. He keeps going back and forth. And he keeps going back and forth. He's getting more and more information about Jesus. And he's learning more and more about Jesus, about his testimony, who he is. And, and Pilate is having this conversation inside of his heart, inside of his head. And he's beginning to realize, wait a minute, maybe this guy, Jesus, maybe there's something about him. Maybe he is absolutely innocent of the charge that are brought against him. He begins to have this internal dialogue, if you will, in his heart and in his mind about the nature and the person of Jesus. And he doesn't know what to do. He's conflicted. And as he comes back to Pilate's very, very early in the morning, if you look at the text, it's very early in the morning, probably maybe around five, five in the morning. And the reason they come this early in the morning because the Roman courts began very early. And they wanted to get there before the Roman courts began. They wanted to get there before all of this stuff happened because they want to kill Jesus. They want to get him done with that that day. And so they bring him before Pilate once again. It's very early in the morning. And during the Passover, when you look at the text, it talks about a tradition. And this is the tradition. The tradition was this. That during the Passover celebration, when all of the pilgrims, sometimes millions of people, are gathered in the city, all of these people are gathered, they would have one prisoner and they would release one prisoner on behalf of the Jewish people because they wanted to show how kind they were. They wanted to show how benevolent they were. They wanted to show how respectful they were of life. So they wanted to allow one prisoner at the Jewish Passover to be released. It's kind of a goodwill gesture to all of the people. And think about why the people were gathered in the city of Jerusalem for Passover. Weren't they gathered to celebrate their freedom from bondage? Weren't they gathered to celebrate their freedom and the oppression and the chains of Egypt? Weren't they to gather in the city of Jerusalem and to celebrate that every year as a reminder that God himself had freed them from the bondage of Egypt? And so Pilate begins to think about what he's going to do. If I put Barabbas forth, this notorious prisoner, this guy who's in prison, by the way, Barabbas is in prison. You know why he's in prison? He's in prison for insurrection. He's in prison for murder. He's in prison for all that he's done in trying to usurp the authority for Rome. That's why he's in prison. And he's a bad dude. Matthew actually calls him a notorious prisoner. In other words, not only did Pilate know about his character, but all of the people knew that this guy was a bad dude. Barabbas was an absolute bad dude. And he's sitting in prison. And Pilate began to say, well, if I put forth Barabbas, there's no way that they're going to allow Barabbas to be released. Why? Because he's a bad guy. He's a murderer. He's an insurrection. There is no way that they will allow Barabbas to be released. So he says, do you want me to release for you Barabbas or the one who's the king of the Jews? And because of the hatred of the, uh, of the Jewish people for Jesus, because of all the things that were going on and their hatred of him and all the things they saw, and because of their own human hearts, they began to cry out to the people, let's crucify him. Let's crucify Jesus. We want Barabbas. Release for us Barabbas. Release for us Barabbas. And the crowd begins to be in a little bit more of a frenzy, and a little bit more of a frenzy. Crucify Jesus. Let Barabbas grow. Crucify Jesus, let Barabbas grow, go. And there's this frenzy going on between Barabbas, this insurrection, and this frenzy going on with the life of Jesus. 
this man who did nothing but good and kind things in life. And finally, Pilate couldn't take it anymore. And in verse 15, he says these words. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. That verse is an incredibly descriptive verse of what we're seeing going on in the life of Barabbas, in the life of Jesus. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas. He opened the door and Barabbas walked free. He had Jesus flogged and handed over to be crucified. Handed over has the idea of delivered. Barabbas is free. Jesus is delivered over. And that's where we find Jesus. He's been bound. He's been basically held, imprisoned, if you will. Barabbas has been in prison. And now we have this exchange, if you will, between Barabbas and Jesus. So what do we learn from this? What do we learn from this? I want to give you four principles that relates to living hope. Four principles from this text, Mark chapter 15, that relate to the person of Jesus and our living hope. And the first one is this. Jesus is our king. Is he your king? Pilate thought himself to be a king. He lasted 11 years. He was a horrible, horrible person as a king, as a leader, as a ruler. He was so bad, they finally kicked him out, deposed him to another country where he committed suicide. The Roman emperor, the, the Roman empire fell in 476. The Roman empire, all of these nations have fallen. Persia, Babylon, all of these great and mighty powerful nations fell. When you look at our text, over and over in the passage, Jesus is affirmed as what? He's affirmed as the king of the Jews. Pilate affirms that. The crowd affirmed that. The Roman, uh, the, the Roman soldiers will do that. There's a placard above his head declaring that Jesus is ultimately the king of the Jews. In John's account in the interrogation, Jesus says these words to Pilate about him being the king of the Jews. John chapter 18, verse 37 says this. You are right in saying I'm a king. In fact, for this reason I was born. And for this reason I came into the world to satisfy, to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. Did Barabbas get the fact that the truth was standing right in front of him? He didn't want to listen to the truth. He didn't want to know about the truth. He even says what is truth? And then he walks out. What he was unable to reconcile was the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the King, that he is the King of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. And all of the Old Testament prophecies that speak to him, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, that talks about what the government will be upon his shoulders, right? Who does that relate to? That relates to the Messiah. That relates to Jesus as the King. Over and over in the Bible, Jesus is affirmed, not only as a prophet, not only as a priest, but he is affirmed as a king. Is he the king of our lives? Is he the king of your life? He came and he was full of grace and truth before Pilate. And Pilate could not recognize it. Let me ask you, is Jesus your king? Because in our text, he's declared to be the king of the Jews. Second point I believe that we see in this is we see the goodness of Jesus. Over and over in this account, 
Jesus declared to be innocent. I find no fault in him. He is the sinless savior who's come to offer himself as a sacrifice for sin. And if you go back and look at all of the testimony regarding Jesus, you see that over and over he's declared to be innocent. Remember Judas? Remember what he said? He wants to bring and he wants to give them back the money. Why? Because he says, I have, I have betrayed innocent blood. Herod found him to be innocent. Pilate declared him to be innocent. We see the wonder and the beauty of Jesus. Over and over, Pilate refers to Jesus as being innocent. And what we have is a picture of the beauty of the sinless Savior going to the cross, offering himself as a sacrifice for sin. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, Peter wrote these words. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. What Peter was simply doing is going back to the book of Isaiah chapter 53 and looking at the life of Jesus and recognizing not only was he not speaking in silent, but there was this sinless Savior who would come and offer himself as a sacrifice for sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God took my sin, this prison suit, and he put it on Jesus so that ultimately I might become the righteousness of God. And that, that, that takes away all the shame, all the bitterness of our life. It removes all of that. Is Jesus your king? Do you see the wonder and the beauty of Jesus? What about the idea that prisoners are released? Who are the prisoners in our story? Barabbas? Wasn't he in prison because of what he had done justly? He'd violated the laws of the land. What about Pilate? You ever think of Pilate being in prison? You know who he was in prison to? The people. The will of the people. The voice of the crowd prevailed. And he could not have the courage, the conviction to send. He was controlled. He was in prison to the will of the people. His pride, his arrogance so captured his heart that he could not move ahead. What about the religious leaders? Were they in prison? Yeah. You know why? Because they were willing to deliver up Jesus because of their own envy and their own sense of pride. They were willing to allow a man to be killed and to be crucified because of their own willingness not to look at the life of Jesus and who he is. Their own envy deep within inside of their hearts and soul so controlled them that they couldn't see who Jesus is and what he's done. What about the crowds of the people? They were locked into this, this fickle understanding of who Jesus is, not fully understanding all the things that he did in line with the promises of the Old Testament. There's a man by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and it was at Christmas time, and he was in prison, and he gives an interesting quote, and here's the quote. It says this, a prison cell like this, because he was in prison, is a good analogy for Advent. One waits, hopes, does this or that, ultimately neg negligible things, but the door is locked and can only be opened from the outside. That's what happened with Barabbas. Jesus came, opened the door from the outside, and he walked out. And what happened? Jesus was in prison, and he went to prison to the cross for our sins and for my sin. 
Mark chapter 15, verse 15 says this. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed over to be crucified. Matthew 27, verse 26 says this. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed over to be crucified. Luke chapter 23 says this. He released the man who'd been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for and surrendered Jesus to their will. Over and over we get this picture of Barabbas, this horrible prisoner walking out and Jesus being imprisoned. And all of the sin, all of the shame, all of the, what we have has been given and placed upon Jesus. So ultimately, yeah, I was in prison to my sin. And you were in prison to our sin. Until Jesus came, went to the cross, offered himself as a sacrifice for our sin to free us from all of those things that bound our very lives. That's the freedom that we have. That's why we have a living hope of who Jesus is. So Jesus is our king. We see the wonder and the beauty of who he is. He's silent in fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 53. He sets the prisoners free. And the last thing is this. You cannot just wash your hands of Jesus. That's what Pilate wanted to do. He says, you know what? I'm just going to wash my hands of Jesus. And I'm going to be innocent. You can't wash your hands of Jesus. You can't just be neutral about Jesus. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one promised in the old to to come to offer himself as a sacrifice for sin, or he's some other person. And you can't be ambivalent to him. To not embrace him, to not trust him, to not put your faith and confidence in him is ultimately to reject him and what he's done. You're rejecting the fact that he's come to set us free, set the prisoners free from all of the things that bind our lives. Do you feel free in Christ? Are you bound by something? Jesus has come to set us free, and that's the living hope that we have. Do you believe that? Yeah, I am a prisoner. I was a prisoner. The police aren't looking for me because Jesus has cleansed me on the inside, and he's declared me righteous, righteous because of his death on the cross. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you that... All of us were one day bound and held in bondage to this thing called sin. And Father, I thank you for the freedom that we have in Christ. Thank you that you have come to set the captives free. We thank you for that. And Father, I I don't know what's going on in the hearts and minds of people here. Maybe they're bound by something. Maybe it's a fear of something. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's something that they carry with them. Maybe it's bitterness of their soul. Maybe there's something that they just cannot get rid of. Maybe it's a lack of forgiveness. Father, we thank you that you have come and you've set us free from all of those things. If we would just simply look to you, call out to you, cry out to you, and trust you for what you've done with your work on the cross. Father, we thank you for the freedom that we have in King Jesus. Amen.